Welcome to the HBM episode. I am a secret third thing, and I'm joined by Jay. Jay, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I guess I'm a secret fourth thing. Who knows? Y- you can be whatever you want to be. Oh, that's true. That's very yeah. queer of you, Leon. <laughs> it's actually the most normalist of things, I would argue. Oh, shit. But, um, <laughs> only notion worth striving for within normality. No, um, you know, and for those wondering why Frank isn't here, it's because uh, Jay and I want to talk about something, and Jay and I talk excruciatingly long about things, so uh, that's why I thought it would be more merciful to include it, or to max it, cap it out at two people. Uh, there's no other reason. Um, also, we kind of wanted to focus on an interesting form of media. Jay already indicated it a little bit, and which would be called queer media maybe, if that's the right term. We'll get into that later on. We'll get to that, as we like to say on this podcast. <laughs> but in all seriousness, we, uh, <laughs> we want to talk about a, a, a certain thing and we would like to cover uh, throughout this series, because this is going to be another concept slash series episode, another series of concept and a concept being queerness slash depiction of que- queerness, if that's how you would call it. What do you think? Yeah, sure. Let's go with that. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I'm no, so but, helpful. <laughs> yeah. No, it's... Um, <laughs> love it. No, it's... Um, so once again, we are willing to thread all over the queer spectrum with this series, but this very this singular episode, this intro episode, or the premiere of this series of this concept of queer media, if you will, is going to mainly focus around the depiction of queer men, queer men's sexuality, sexuality of queer men, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. I don't care. I'm bad at naming things. Yeah, so and so I thought, let's do that with two queer men as much, you know, men. as I love the input. <laughs> men. And I, I love my non-binary co-host to the world and back. And it's, um, or to the end, whatever the fuck, I don't know. To, to st- start off with that, because that's what we are, and we are, once again, willing to expand it to every little corner of the queerness spectrum, society, community, whatever the fuck I'm supposed to call it again. I don't know. You get the idea. <laughs> but I thought this was a nice way to start off with, mainly because Jay and I have been talking about a bunch of things. You know them from this very podcast, from one of my favorite episodes that I talk about a lot, Velvet Goldmine. Where we talked about queer male sex- sexuality a lot on that episode as well. Yeah, it's one of my favorite discussions that I've had so far. And I thought, well, let's oh, thank you. dedicate a episode to the broader concept that was applied to that episode. I thought that would be nice. I, I am I am also, batting my eyelashes. <laughs> in the beginning of this month, it was Dutch queer month week thing. Pride, pride thing thingy. We have, yeah, we call it pride now as well, which is whatever. And I forgot to do like a special explicit uh like something you know queer or pride ish for um the anglophonic american anglo-speaking world's uh pride month so this is this is my recovery uh process it's uh, I, I still am doing it in, in, in the same month you know uh so it counts even though it was at the beginning of this month and we're recording this at the end of the month of august doesn't matter it, it still counts it's it's uh, an episode per month so it's, it's queer it. you know you can't you can't yeah. box it in you know it has to be fluid Precisely. Like, you can't, you know, if you expected me to do it within the arbitrary chosen amount of time, that's actually purity ethics and bad. 
that's queerphobic. That, that's homophobic, so, actually. Yeah, that's bad. No. <laughs> so yeah, how about you introduce yourself, or why, why, why do you think you're here? Tell me that. I don't know. So um, again, my name is Jay. I am one of the three co-hosts of the Library Punk podcast. Both Leon and Frank have been on uh, that podcast. I am also one of the co-hosts of the podcast Tinder Subject uh, with Kate, who's also been on both HBM and The Left Page. And Frank and Leon have also both been on that podcast as well. Yeah. And I think I'm here, well, when I was on HBM, um, I... Uh, forced these two to watch Velvet Goldmine, my all-time favorite movie. Um, and we had some really juicy discussions about um, the depictions of uh, sex on screen and like sex scenes in general. Psychoanalytics as well. Yeah. I rarely get to do that. So <laughs> You were so that's... excited. You were like a kid in a candy <laughs> shop. <laughs> it's just, you know, uh, that's, that's why uh, Jay immediately rose very high in my esteem uh, for him. <laughs> yes. Um, but like, it was such a, like a rich discussion that it was like, why don't we do a whole episode on this? I'm also notoriously a horny pervert. So, you know, I'm like the consultant for this kind of thing, you know, have me on if you want to talk about, you know, whatever kind of debauch shit you can imagine. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure I introduced you on the Velvet Goldmine as my secret queer weapon or something. You did. <laughs> so... To finally live up to that entitlement, really. Yes, now I get to show off. <laughs> we are very finally, <laughs> months later, almost nine months later. I've been edging all of you. <laughs> yeah, precisely. So, so yeah, uh, we want to get into it. We're going to uh, talk about a couple of things, a couple of uh, media products, media projects, whatever you think I should have called them. I don't care. Um, <laughs> it's uh, And yeah, we're going to like navigate through that. We're going to try to engage engage with some little sprinkle of theory here and there uh, mainly we want to like document and navigate certain feelings and discourses around certain things and also just try and add value to this episode by navigating what we would like to see and mm -hmm. what we think is not necessarily wrong but maybe where some certain things fall short mm -hmm. here and there this was also just an excuse to uh so that i could make leon watch cruising so <laughs> okay. So one of the big one of the things that we are going to talk about is the movie. Is the nineteen eighties? Nineteen eighty, right? Nineteen eighty, yes. Yeah, nineteen eighties movie, Cruising with Al Pacino, and that's that's a movie we're going to get into. Not the only thing, mm. but that's uh, mainly going to be it's the main course, I would argue. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> where uh, where where do you feel comfortable to begin? What's uh, what's something that's on your mind? Well, I guess, like, so we've sort of gone over, like, why we're talking about, like, queer men, because it's, you know, me and you, um, but not necessarily the focus on um, why we're talking not just about the depiction of queer men in media, but more specifically queer, like, the sexuality of queer men. Um, like, why the focus on sexuality and not just queerness yeah. So I feel like that could be an interesting place to, to dive in because some people are like, well, you know, queerness isn't just about sexuality, right? And uh, something can be queer and not have sucking and fucking in it, you know? Like, you, these things are true. So why this focus on sexuality and not just queer people, right? Yeah. No, I think that's, once again, a good place to start to, as any. I think, that once again, that will be one of the 
main threads throughout the episode. I would like to start off with saying that I felt that's a good selection for this episode, uh, mainly because it is, well, intercourse is a clear empirical marker of queerness. Uh, not necessarily 100% so, there are some asterisks here and there, as there are always. I would argue that the depiction of this is A, heavily discoursed about, mm-hmm. and therefore fun to get into, and B, I think there there's a, well maybe maybe that's a that's that's a good place to, to uh, get into it. I feel that there is a certain discomfort. There is a lot of discourse about sex scenes in in media in general. Uh, we have talked we've talked about that in Velvet Goldmine once again. Please listen to the episode. I'm really proud of it. You should be. But uh, yeah, thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> but yeah, no. So there there's there have there's a bunch of people that. Um, have a long have a bunch of strong feelings about that sort of thing, and one of those strong feelings, in among many, is that movies do not need it, do not need intercourse, any kind of intercourse for that matter, mind you, but they don't need that. And certain people would go as far to say that if you are arguing for a depiction of intercourse slash sexual intimacy, to be put into a movie that there is something I well <laughs> once again these opinions then range quite far certain people dislike it certain people would even go as far to say there's something to matter with you if you express that sort of desire if you think that that's a good idea to put into a movie media product about I mean something whatever. is the matter with me but you know that's <laughs> the point <laughs> uh, something is the matter and there should be uh, based on that there should be a certain portion of shame or blame or whatever attributed to you yes once again I'm not <laughs> saying that's everybody's opinion however I have seen that opinion floating around there have been once again a bunch of brilliant posts addressing that you talked about it um, from Bloodknife. What's the one called again? Oh, the um, Everyone is Beautiful and No One is Horny. The, um, yeah. That article by Raquel S. Benedict. Yeah, so if you want yeah. like a more a clarification one. for where we are. Yeah. If you, want to, if you want some more clarification where we're coming from, I would humbly put forth that article. Would you agree with that? or? Yes, because I also I, I do want to stress that at no point in this discussion are we meaning to slander asexuality or people who are oh, sex no. repulsed or people who don't have sex for any reason. Again, this is mainly about depiction in media because that is a conscious political choice that is laden with a lot of meaning um, regardless of how it operates in actual life. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's very well put, to be honest. Thank you. <laughs> You're so welcome. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, that that's a thing that um, I have been, um, how do I say this politely, uh, a little bit miffed about. Um, I don't know how <laughs> you feel about this discourse and how you have navigated it. Um, that's interesting because, so online discourses around sex and not to get too personal but like online discourses around sex have very much affected how i exist in my own sexuality um since i became a person who had one actively right because people on tumblr despite their best intentions uh are stupid because they're 14 (laughs) you know like it wasn't the best place to have a lot of my 
early politics kind of forged in, and I'm still unlearning a lot of that. And I would say that's true of Twitter now too, especially with millennials and what the (laughs) fuck ever. I'm going to dead name Twitter. (laughs) I don't care. Um, (laughs) I'm going to be a bad trans, you know, like I've seen the argument recently that like so many like millennials and Gen Z are like living with their parents still, even if they're adults. And so like being around your parents, I mean, who still has parents who aren't divorced? Like one, like, <laughs> like I, I don't know. This is a different like class position than I'm used to. I was like, wait, you weren't just like watching movies with your parents and like, because you like, they couldn't afford a babysitter. So of course I had to watch whatever movies they were watching. Like anyway, um, my parents were always like cool and never like cared about what I watched. Like they trusted me to know when something was uncomfortable. Yeah, same. And so I just like, if there was a sex thing, I didn't look or I like didn't understand what was going on. And so it like didn't affect me at all. Um, and if, you know, if I felt uncomfortable, I just like wouldn't watch that anymore. You know, like it was, it was easy. And I was, I had that empowerment as a, an autonomy as a kid. Um, because again, knowing my parents... yourself and practicing restraint. Wow, that's I, such I... a interesting thing. I didn't know human beings could do that, and especially not me. That... <laughs> yeah. Well, it wasn't going to go there with it. But, um, <laughs> a lot of the discourse that I have seen around this um, seems to argue from a very interesting point of view. That's uh, for me very difficult to reach. Mm-hmm. Namely, that you can turn the thing off. By the way. You can't. Don't these people. You don't can, have the, the Ludovico treatment from a Clockwork Orange forcing you to watch pornography at all hours of the day. Precisely. So yeah. <laughs> but weirdly, the like sex scenes in movie discourse, I think, like that aspect of online discourses of sexuality hasn't affected me as much, just because it's more about like, like I haven't internalized what people say about that, like I did other things about queer sexuality and desire in general coming and mind you coming from queer people not coming from you know what what like straight people or right-wing people say i don't give a fuck it's never affected me they can go choke um but like within like queer discourses the shit that has affected me that i'm still unlearning um but this has never been one of them it makes me mad but it also makes me sad because like eroticism is such a core part of how I exist as a person and and not in just of the like having sex with another person lens but like the way I kind of interact with the world and see the beauty in it and the sensuality in it and like everything is alive and like expressive and like big and like desire and like all of this like and for people to just be so turned off and shut off from that it, I, it makes me very sad for them because I'm like, aren't, what what happened to romanticizing life and being full of passion, right? I also view eroticism and sexuality like it's inherently about connection with another person. Even a one night stand means something, right? Like it's about connection. Like in the Velvet Goldmine episode, it's about relation. Like meaning is in between things, right? So like I always also view sex scenes as like a way of exploring a connection. You know, what is this saying about these characters or the situation and how they connect with each other? And like there's, I don't know, like sex and eroticism is like a way that like solidarity can form. Like I, I don't know, like there's so much revolutionary and liberatory power and eroticism <laughs> and sexuality, right? That yeah. it makes me pissed off when people are like people see people were made to read that fucking male gaze article in their film one oh one class 
and they didn't understand it because they hadn't read Lacan uh, because their teacher, their professor didn't make them read Lacan or Freud or anything beforehand. They just threw Pauline Kael at them or like, or no, Laura Mulvey, that was her name. They went, here you go. Uh, and then they think that any portrayal of desire or lust towards anyone on screen is bad and ignoring what the point of that article actually was. So that's what makes me mad is that people misunderstand the portrayal of desire and also like how power operates within that and voyeurism. And so then people just frame all desire and lust as bad and icky and sex as something extra that is tarnishing the purity of whatever. Precisely. And like with male sex, like queer men, in particular, like, again, this is also true of queer women, but like with queer men's sexuality is already seen as so disgusting and abject, including it's like, and not just from a like perverse, like homophobic, but like people view it as like hygienically dirty, right? In a way that I don't think they view lesbian sex as filthy or dirty. Like they view it as wrong and just, you know, but not necessarily in the same way that they view like two men having anal sex right definitely uh, right and and so i, I kind of went off track there but um yeah. no i so, would actually <laughs> elaborate yeah. on that but go on no no i i, I lost my thread so you go oh, ahead. okay yeah <laughs> no but it, it's very interesting that you said that especially when you get into purity and and whatnot i would add a very small addendum that when uh the students haven't read lacan and so forth and so on the, the teachers probably also haven't read Lacan, by the way. Probably. So, but that's, you know, it's, it's whatever. But yeah, I think that's that's very interesting. Um, I think the purity concept is very interesting, mainly because I would argue that my read of the discourse, and I'm going to be painfully honest here, I can only stomach so much discourse. I, I read, like, surface and, like, very specific, uh, you know, blog posts, tweets, uh, seats, whatever the fuck, I don't know. That that joke, I'm going to stop making that joke now. It's it's depressing. Uh, but <laughs> whatever. I've seen like, from, from essays to posts, to comments, whatever the fuck, online. And I've seen people like talk about like a collection of like uh, certain like posts online and like constructing that into some kind of theory and like uh, in saying, well, this is indicative of this and that. And I think based on my experience, if I am to do that, based on what I have seen, which once again, I'm trying to get get it through, trying to get through to the dear listener that I am fully admitting that this is a very personal perspective. I'm not saying I'm wrong, but I am saying that... <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not yet, but, um, <laughs> but I am saying that uh, I'm, I'm acknowledging, being totally honest and transparent here, this is my personal perspective and my personal reading of certain paradigms that I think I have encountered, so that out of the way, I think that the people who have expressed themselves excessively negatively towards these depictions uh, that we have just talked about, I think those people are coming... Hmm, let me just say that the structure of their arguments seems to be heavy, heavily reliant upon something that is just purity ethics or is dangerously similar to purity ethics. And what I mean with that is that, you know, for lack of a better word, this ontological standard of how human beings should be. I talked many, many a time on this podcast about I wholeheartedly reject the concept of purity. I think thinking that 
there is such a thing as purity. There's this this perfect ideal and so forth and so on is not great. Um, has historically speaking not led to a bunch of great things. And I think is also, um, I'm, I'm sorry to be mean-spirited here, but entirely fucking useless. <laughs> so, you know, it, it doesn't make, uh, the optics are bad, is what I'm trying to say. It's, it, it's not, in no pragmatic sense, no um, metaphysical sense, no ontological sense, whatever the fuck you want to call it. And <laughs> Where's the, it doesn't so, make sense, dramaturgically drop? Like, <laughs> Oh, shit, yeah. I, once again, I feel I already am thoroughly uncomfortable when I read such, once again, in my humble opinion, poorly formed opinions with no deeper reflection of, hmm, why do I feel this way? This is why um, I'm welcoming both Jay and me speaking so much about how things make us feel, because mm-hmm. I think that's always very important. Agreed. Should we... Of course, should we approach it from a non-individual perspective? Absolutely. But you cannot skip this process, I would humbly argue. You you do need to know how you feel and then ask, why do I feel this? You would be surprised how many adults need to hear this. But okay, this is neither here nor there. Coyness aside, mm-hmm. I, I think then it's also very interesting that you said, talking about uh, feelings and that being very important and all that, I would argue then, that just like what Jay said, that for me, depictions of messiness that doesn't even have to be sexual for that matter, can be emotional, can be psychological, can be whatever, and depictions of what we then perceive as impure, unclean, and all those things, I think has, uh, like Jay also argued a little bit earlier, a liberatory potential. And mm. it's something that, that is very close to my heart. The, the fact that we are allowed to depict this, these things is un, it, it's just objectively true. <laughs> it's as close as I would ever say that that's just, that, that just period, period. That's just important that we are allowed to do this, that we are allowed to depict this in art, that we are allowed to depict this in media. It is very, very important that this is a positive fucking ability. Once again, you don't want to watch it. That's totally cool. The, More I, for me. I, yeah, well, <laughs> but, that's, but that's the whole point. It is exactly not more for you, but rather the person that then says, no, thank you, seems to have, empirically speaking, if I look at the landscape of media, seems to have this influence about, uh, or this influence of that we get nothing. So, them saying no is not more for you or for me, for us. But them saying no can very well lead to nothing for us. Exactly. And therefore, I would argue that uh, this whole thing is very fucking important. But uh, but yeah, so that's what that's the angle. That's the very elaborate. I'm so sorry, dear listener. That's the very uh, elaborate angle that I'm coming from. As Jay talked about his very elaborate, uh, or not less elaborate than me. But uh, <laughs> Jay talked about... Uh, his perspective and so to get into the literal graphic notion of depictions of actual sexual intercourse jay and i have been talking about like some good examples and maybe some lacking examples yes uh we talked about cruising a little bit earlier and maybe we can start off with since i recently appeared on tender subject to talk about a very specific series Mm -hmm. from a very specific showrunner 
Yes. Uh, maybe you can start off with that one if you like. So, you know, Leon was just on uh, Tinder Subject to talk about season one of the Hannibal series, notoriously um, dark and queer. Um, so many champagne cum shots and blood cum shots. I swear to God, you can watch a super cut and it's just like, there's so many that when you watch it, you're like, oh, wow. Um, but the showrunner. It's in the intro. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> it's not. It's not subtle. Okay. Um, but you know, so the showrunner of Hannibal, for those who don't know, is this uh, guy named Brian Fuller, um, extremely gay, and um, he aggressively so aggressively gay. We love that for him. Um, I'm glad he's on our team. I'm glad that he is like a like pervert. He's so good, um, and he was the showrunner of at least season one. Only season one. Only season one, which is the only one I've seen. Yeah. Of um, American Gods. You can notice. Uh, I watched season two, and you can notice. <laughs> yes. Sorry, go on. And um, so American Gods, for those who don't know, is um, one of the good things that Neil Gaiman has written. I oh, yeah. Quite, yeah, I, I enjoy it because it's um, just a bunch of little short vignettes uh, all in a trench coat pretending to be a book. It is mythology, so that's why Leon likes it. Exactly. Um, there's a really fucked up sex scene like 10 pages in, which is why I like it. Um, <laughs> um, I read that in high school and was like, whoa. Um, <laughs> Wait, which one again? Oh, the um, the Bill Quiss. Oh, right. That's, that's early in the book. Yeah, it's that's later the in the show, but it's early in the book. It's the end of chapter one. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so Brian Fuller uh, was, was sort of was the showrunner for at least season one of the TV show adaptation of American Gods. And so the structure of American Gods, if you read it, there's like this main sort of plot line, which is like whatever. And then like the premise of the show is like all of the gods, you know, were brought over to America through immigration, through slavery, through other means, like with like they're the people who believed in them and they're still here. Right. Even though people might not believe in them as much anymore. And so there's these great little vignettes uh, peppered throughout the book of like, there's the coming to America vignettes that describe how a God got here or to America where I am recording from. Um, And then there are like currently or somewhere in America where it's like at this moment right now in America with a God and the best one. Well, the Bilquis one is pretty fucking good, but there's, a real gay one that is um that involves an ifrit uh taxi driver and it involves ifrit like, is largely interpreted to be a arabian fire spirit yes for those sorry go on yes thank you for the clarification no worries and so we there's like there's like a little tchotchke salesman who takes this man's cab and then they get a hotel room together and they have sex and um, then our little tchotchke salesman, and they're both um, from the Middle East. I forget where the character is from. It's been forever since I read it. And um, through the act of having sex with this Ifrit, he then wakes up the next day, and the jet, the Ifrit is gone, and he is now an Ifrit. And apparently the show does more with this, but when we get to this scene in the show, they don't hold back. Showing yeah. the sex scene, and we, I remember being so shocked watching this because it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, um, it is on the. Uh, it was hosted 
primarily or at first on the stars network yeah and i make a joke with my good friend holly that has been on this episode uh, has been on this podcast about that if you want to do something that's too graphic for hbo you go to stars you might have a lower budget but they kind of let you do whatever the fuck i oh christ now that i now that i think about this i want to talk about uh spartacus as well which has another great queer uh amazing queer depiction in my opinion my humble opinion but that's not here but there moving on um but yeah so uh stars you're doing great uh, I don't know if that's true, but uh, fuck it. So yeah, that's it's a very graphic sex scene, and I think it's also, despite being very graphic, good. It's Imagine very, that. It's really tender. Like, these are two strangers, and this is, for all intents and purposes, like a one-night stand, and there's like a lot of tenderness, there's a lot of sensuality between the two of them. We do, oh, see, yeah. we do see full frontal bonus points there. You don't see full frontal a lot for men. Yeah, and when you do, it's a lot of prosthetic work as well, but we don't have to get into that, but go on. Cowards. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, so like, we see them kissing, um, we see them in multiple positions which is something we'll get into and um there's a lot of vulnerability with what's his name salim um salim salim like salim shows a lot of like like vulnerability there that like i don't feel like you see a lot yeah so um also like size queen representation like (laughs) well well i'm gonna get into that so um there's why I wanted, really wanted to talk about like that. This was my main thing that I wanted to talk about this episode, and that's because in this scene, once again, you don't have to understand any of the plot, but it's once again a, a guy from a place that we don't associate associate with homosexuality, like the Middle East, right? And he's he's a, he's a practicing Muslim as well uh, throughout the series, and I I, I love him. Um, but uh, he's but, but like you, you hit a nail on the head I would say with like it's very exceedingly passionate it's, mm-hmm. it's it depicts um, it, it goes into some artsy stuff maybe a little bit and therefore distances itself from the more um, like you know softcore <laughs> well it, it distances itself from it's from from the graphic flashiness that we would usually associate mm. and graphic flashiness that we're going to talk about in a bit when we get to cruising mm-hmm. um it, it it goes into a bit more but you know it, the show is called american god so you're going to get some mysticism you're going to get some uh mytho- myth- mythological stuff uh, that's fine it's it's part of the course nevertheless and girl like that's what it fe- the- also like girl it, it, when it feels good it does make you feel like that so <laughs> it's <Sure. just> accurate <laughs> I, well, I think that that is, um, once again, that is a element of that representation, I would argue. Mm-hmm. The more interesting part of the uh, uh, representation is, uh, for me, it's twofold. It, there's a practical element and there's a more broader contextual element. Mm-hmm. The broader contextual element being that, once again, we normally would um, depict the, uh, or we would approach, your average person would approach the sexual act between two men. As once again something like dirty or you know uncomfortable, like oh, do I have to watch this? This is making me uncomfortable and question things about myself. Oh, I hope nothing awakens inside me. That type of stuff. Um, <laughs> so you know, but it doesn't go out of the way, and it it's it's it doesn't hold back sexually. Is what I'm trying to get at. This is what we're like dancing around. 
it it doesn't hold back sexually, and at the same time, surprise, surprise, there is tenderness. There's also, once again, you can be lustful, you can be graphic about it. This doesn't take away from anything, as this very specific scene shows and their character relations throughout the series, uh, season one and two. Once again, I didn't watch season three. Um, I, I, no, we don't have time for, to get into why. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a great example because it does it, it checks all the boxes, and there's also the practical element <laughs> of at first apparently I've heard that the the shooting of the scene was not done as well, and it looked weird and off. And apparently Brian Fuller himself had to come in like that's not how you have sex with someone who is a certain shape and size um, <laughs> and had to like, no, it goes something like this. And, and so, King. But, but, no. well, precisely, but I would argue that this, this is what I'm trying to kind of get at that. This is a way of preserving and uh, preserving certain, preserving the queerness within the media. And also it's one of its fundamental elements, the, effect of letting other queer people feel seen I, I would say that this is a very crucial element of uh, queer media and mm-hmm. I think it's a good one I don't think it should always I don't think it should be the sole focus that's not what I'm trying to say but it should be uh, important and I think that's it's always good making people feel seen all across the beautiful queer rainbow spectrum whatever you want to call it so yeah I think that, that that's why that, that scene <laughs> fucking slaps it's it's so good, and I think. Uh, and small small note, it has great dialogue as well. <laughs> um, there's this amazing line about this Salim being like a salesman of shit, and he's like, "What do you sell?" says the taxi driver uh, guy uh, Ifrit, and he says, "Ah, oh, I I sell shit, and they won't buy it because it's shit." And he says, looking through New York City, they won't buy shit. Shit <laughs> is all they sell here, <laughs> and. He, there is this, and I can't really, uh, th- this, this is where, what I'm slut for. There is this abstract, tender dialogue between them. The Ifrit looks at Salim and says, I do not grant wishes. And, but there's this, it, it is this very tender element to it. And they even navigate, what I would argue, um, is this dance that queer men here and there had to, you know, perform. Uh, are are you are you are you one of us? Are you are you queer? Like can we like how do I safely zone this out? Because oh, this guy is kind of attractive, and touching upon the very painful real reality that finding that out isn't always safe for queer men, and can have very varying and intense uh, results and percussions and so forth and so on. And so this this little back and forth between like oh uh, are we are you you want to come inside and he's like no i do not grant wishes and then does come inside literally which i think yeah but But i think i think that's very beautiful depiction that's that's, uh, i'm gonna shut up now but i I really like it i Um, agree there's more to say about it but i'll move on yeah like one thing i would say about it and maybe this can lead us into talking about other things is that uh, i think i really like about that scene is that so often, so I'm also a big uh, reader of um, romance novels and people, I mean, and this is true 
even in everyday life, people like to have this border, this boundary between fucking and making love as if ne'er the twain shall meet as if there can't as if like tenderness and passion and love like can't oversect with like raw lust or rough sex or anything like that right as if like these two things can't be part of the same whole like you know as if these things aren't like kind of on like a spectrum or just another way like just ways that we describe the way that two people or more like connect with each other like physically right and i feel like the scene is a really nice example of like how sort of like one night stand anonymous sex that you know it's not like they're being lovey-dovey quote making love with each other and yet we do see tenderness and vulnerability there so like i feel like it's this great way of showing how like with queer people like we don't fall in this bullshit of if i have sex this way then i can't have xyz feelings during it or can't touch this person in this way like if i'm if i if we're fucking we're fucking if we're making love we're making love like no queer people don't follow that bullshit i mean so, i wouldn't say that's necessarily well, well, some wholeheartedly true some, some yeah. of them do some of them do but there's definitely this impurity yeah. to fucking versus the pure ideal of love making mm-hmm. that i feel like this example shows that that is a a false binary right yeah also it's just really fucking hot go watch it i don't know what to say <laughs> <laughs> no but yeah no definitely and I think another interesting element to then lead on to the next segment, so to speak, for lack of mm-hmm. better words. Um, regarding this, 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 <laughs> the the gaze of purity, if you will, uh, gaze in this case, G A Z E, is something else configures into this. I would argue, and that's the once again even more graphic slash empirical reality of the sexual position itself. Mm-hmm. Do, do you want to take a lead on this one or should I go? Um, sure. Like, so this is another thing that, again, this is not limited to queer discourses of sexuality. Um, yeah, again, which, this, which enhances the point that we are want to make. <laughs> right. That like this shows up a lot um, in, in um, again, in like romance novel circles of um, in a fictional property, right? In a movie, in a TV show or in a book. You know, because like when two people in real life or more, right, are love each other very much, love each other very much. You know, when (laughs) when when two or more people are having sex, right, the position that that happens in is just whatever those people want to be doing at the time. Whether it's because they it feels better one certain way, it could be due to physical impairments or disabilities, like someone's knees might hurt, so they have to like yeah. not be on their knees. Like, you know, there's lots of reasons why people have sex in the positions that they do. Psychological desire filtered through physical needs and practicality. Exactly. Whereas in uh media, there is I would say like a politics of sex positions where um and again this also holds true for like depictions of like heterosexual sex um but again it is even more so with queer sex and especially with queer men like depictions of two men fucking in 
TV shows and movies, whatever, we get this like standard of like, if it's two men having sex, well, it's norm. It's probably some one night stand, right? So it's impersonal because men can't be tender with each other. Men can't love each other. Men can't form lasting bonds. No men just hook up, which hooking up is great. And shows like this reinforce the idea that that's not okay. Um, and or somehow less than yeah right right but what position are they going to have sex in well if they have penetrative sex at all because they might just do blowjobs or something um, it's going to be in doggy style and it's going to be very impersonal jackhammer doggy style where they don't look at each other and it's just like for the purpose of the penetrative partner to orgasm and who cares if the bottom comes you know like and that is sort of like how doggy style is shown a lot as it's it's impersonal there's no connection there it's almost masturbatory whereas it's interesting oh sorry whereas like missionary or something like that where you can like kiss or like look in each other's eyes or whatever um which like it is shown as the like oh this is where love happens this is where they're respecting each other this is where the connection happens and it's like i mean i might have my preferences but do you know how much vulnerability it takes to bottom in doggy style like it takes a lot actually <laughs> you have to have some well, trust and connection there i don't know <laughs> it's it's interesting it's uh, i agree first off i think it's very interesting that whole not so much necessarily like doggy style, but like from behind in, yeah. uh, in all its configurations and variations is indeed depicted to be uh, more distant and whatnot. And what that reminds me of, and uh, that means I have to put a content warning in the description. So what it makes me think of is what sadly for a bunch of straight men is going to be their introduction to, uh, especially within a Western media landscape the first introduction of queer or men men having sex with other men for straight men is going to be sadly whether they hear about it or see it in media is going to be sexual assault in prison yep and that and in one of the most famous scenes that that is depicted in i would argue is in american history x Uh, i remember seeing that as a young boy and, and messing me up quite a bit um for a day after that, I was fine, but I was like, oh, oh, shit. Oh, fuck. That's, mm, okay. It's very violent as well. And so that conceptualization lives on in a lot of straight guys' minds, I would argue, in a very different way. So I think then when a lot of straight people, and I would so not to just say straight guys' minds, by the way, but okay, um, I'm <laughs> going to stay with, within my own uh, gender uh, <laughs> domain here. Uh, just to make it a little bit easier on me. But um, that that is, you know, very unsettling. And I think that and how that is joked about, threatened with, so many so many amalgamations of this exist within, uh, <laughs> within all kinds of scenarios that did have, this has a lasting effect on male intercourse or a man-on-man intercourse or whatever you're supposed to call it. Gay intercourse, queer intercourse, between men, whatever. It's um, so I think that's very unfortunate. I think that's also where it comes from the the shifting towards doggy stuff. You know, mm-hmm. it also 
makes sense for a straight guy to think of it as such, mainly because from behind, you can almost imagine it's a woman or something, you know? I can already hear uh, the little uh, heterosexual gears grinding in the head and going like, oh, okay, well, if I had to have sex with a guy, I guess, which is something straight guys love talking about. I mean, if I have to, then I guess I'll, I'll you know, the, the dead guy or something, you know? Straight it, guys are so but, gay. Like, but they're such faggots. They oh are. my god. I just have sex with men. I just fuck guys. They spend so much time looking at other men and talking about other men. They love other men so fucking much. Jesus fucking Christ. Like I and wish I, I, I was that faggy, you know? Like <laughs> I will never I will never have the passion. Like they what? once again, like for any heterosexual relationship out there that where you are a woman and you're worried that your guy is looking at women on the internet, don't worry. He's looking at other men working out. Trust me. He <laughs> he's looking at other dudes, sweetie. I'm sorry. Uh, sure, he might give like that one model a like on Instagram, or whatever. But trust me, he's looking at like some either actor or like bodybuilder working out and wishing that was him or wanting to aspire to that, which is fine. I'm not one to judge. <laughs> well, never I mind. also want to look oh. at guys working out. <laughs> <laughs> so being being a little bit more serious here. Sorry to go on about this, but I think that's very serious element and i just it just clicked when you said the doggy stuff that very specific element has transcendental or like ripples throughout the sexual position pond so to speak um <laughs> it, it leaves this echo that we see in other depictions and i would argue that's one of his main donors as to why doggy style or from behind back shells whatever the fuck you want to call it um is considered cold uh yeah sorry for interrupting you jay my apologies you're fine, dear. But missionary, in, in contrast, is very then. It, once again, that's making love, right? Like if you do, if you look at each other. Yeah, exactly. And like you kiss the whole time and, and everything, which like, you know, there is, you know, it, I would say like there is a different kind of intimacy there when you are looking at each other and can kiss, and there's more like contact, skin to skin between people. But that doesn't mean like it's a different it's a different kind of intimacy. It doesn't mean that it's more or less intimate. It's just different. Yeah. Right. Whereas I guess what we want to say is that um, rough sex or whatever the fuck that means, um, sex that is considered to be more rough and intense, mm -hmm. actually, 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 maybe is um, requires some kind of trust that is very indicative of intimacy and love and whatnot and trust uh mm -hmm. it's, it's you know i won't get into too many details but like the most intimate <laughs> trusting vulnerable romantic like sex i've ever had has been things i will not say on this podcast you know like no let's not i know I, what you're talking about i know i know you do but like you know i wouldn't just I wouldn't do that with a guy. No, but that's a good example. I would just, I would just, that's like, a good example you didn't name. <laughs> yeah, it's like I would, I wouldn't just do that with someone I was hooking up with, you know. Yeah, definitely. Like I did that with a person I'd been dating for like almost, you know, like a while. A while, like we had been seeing each other for almost like two years at that point, right? Before we got there, and it was great, you know. But I wouldn't do that with just anybody. So I don't know. Like, like SM and like leather and like all of that. Like, I don't know. There's a, a type of like, so straight people love to choke each other. I mean, I also love to be choked, but like, you know, straight guys will just choke people. Right. 
not realizing the like poorly sometimes just poorly um but it's i've like, heard a lot of stories going, no no go on go on, go on. Sorry. right but it's like to to let someone choke you you are literally putting your life in their hands right they could just kill you <laughs> you know <laughs> they could just do it um and so like so there's like that's like a thing you know it's like to let someone like put their hand their fingers around your throat and close off your airway or like your blood supply or something to like to the point where you might like pass out like they could kill you and so like that that requires like trust and communication and intimacy from both parties like this isn't just like on the on the receiving partners like you know half like tops also like have to like know that their like desires and and whatnot like will be trusted and respected and those boundaries will be in place and everything yeah well that all reminds me of a very specific movie uh if you will Mm -hmm. um that there are certain tensions uh within uh intercourse no matter what your gender is for that matter i would say that's a very universal thing Mm -hmm. but yeah one (laughs) One movie that uh, made me feel you know slightly uncomfortable, having just watched it. <laughs> um, well, there's a very specific scene that made me feel kind of uncomfortable. But once again, it's it's meant to do that. Um, so that's another criticism. It it sets it succeeds in what it sets out to do. And this scene, of course, is in a movie we mentioned earlier, 1980s Cruising. Yay! Derek, maybe you can tell a little bit about it if you like. Yes, I can. So, um, Cruising is by um, the director William Friedkin. You may know him as the person who directed The Exorcist, but he also directed Boys in the Band, another you know classic gay movie. Um, William Friedkin, to my knowledge, is straight. Oh, okay, that is an interesting touchstone. But yeah, go on. I, I know more uh, about that later. Yeah, but uh, this movie is uh, 1980, and it stars Al Pacino, um, and it's based off of a book, and also like inspired by some actual like serial killings of gay men that were happening in New York uh, at that time. New York and, City, yeah. Yep, New York City, yes. And uh, Al Pacino is a undercover cop who like there are killings going on not just of gay men but gay men who engage in uh, leather sex so people in the leather community who do S&M stuff like that and uh, so he has to go undercover to like leather bars and try to figure out what's going on and uh, this movie was protested both during its production and during its release um, to the point that they had to overdub most of the dialogue because people protesting around shooting ruined the audio that was picked up during filming basically. And yeah, during release, like a lot of like, and this is gay rights groups protesting this film because they were like, this movie is showing that being gay is bad. That being gay makes you a serial killer. It shows gay people getting killed, et cetera, et cetera. And that's not not there, but also I feel like if you watch the movie or read the script or anything, it's like at no point is leather sex shown to be the cause of any of this, right? Yeah, definitely. And like, I mean, we can go into it more later, but like William Friedkin was friends with 
the people who ran these leather bars where they actually they shot in actual leather bars the people in the scenes in the leather bars were patrons of those leather bars and he was friends with the owners because the the leather bars at the time were run by the mafia and william freakin was friends with these people <laughs> There's um, a very interesting overlap between curio history and mafia history mm-hmm. in a couple of scenarios. Yeah, uh, there's something called Hotel Something in the West Coast. There was like a, a mobster-owned house that like was occupied by queer people or something. Probably. Uh, I don't, I don't, yeah, I have to look that up. But yeah, no, sorry. Go on. They weren't making this movie to like be offensive to gay people or sensationalize their suffering specifically exactly yeah yeah there's a uh to my interpretation of the movie once again uh it's gonna get this out of the way first i fully get the concerns of the people who are protesting Mm -hmm. i don't know enough about the production of the movie i would humbly argue and i'm gonna get a little bit more into this as well later um but i think that the communication maybe towards these groups could have been a bit better Agreed. Uh, there's problems with legality, probably with non-disclosure agreements that everybody has to sign. Um, I can see something like that unfolding. Once again, I don't know enough about it. I just know that there was like both internal studio conflict and external conflict with these uh, agencies or these um, groups, interest groups or whatever the right word for it, for it is. I don't know. But yeah, I can, I can see why they would be nervous, especially with a straight a director at the helm, for that matter. I... <laughs> It was the 80s, so I don't think there were a lot of out directors at the time. Maybe there are? Do you know? Uh, Derek Jarman, John Waters. Okay, so a few, I, at yeah. least. Yeah, uh, um, oh. mainly mainly in the indie scene. Okay. I mean, yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, Cocteau. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So, okay, so well, it was a thing, but it was not very common or not as maybe easily facilitated as it is now. Ironically, I think this is a far more... Um, sincere depiction of uh, homosexuality and sex between men or the sexual elements, dimensions of that, that uh, homosexuals and queer men interact with than we see later on in this now more modern and quote-unquote supposedly accepting and tolerant era um, because we are, we are very keen to describe the past as backwards, as a stepping ladder to to feel some kind of self-ingraduation, uh, self-brandizing, and so forth and so on. <laughs> so, yeah. But I think, once again, I, I get that. I get the concerns. I think this movie is very sincere. Uh, we love to talk about sincerity on this podcast. I'm so sorry, dear listener. But I think a, a, a indication of its quality is its very sincere depiction of queer communities, of, of once again, homosexual communities predominantly. Yeah, and once again, I... I think if we maybe, you know, made a bit more graphical homosexual, if you if make more movies that have graphical homosexual elements in them or to them, we would have be less anxious regarding exploring these kinds of narratives that are present within cruising. Like, there is fisting in cruising. Like, the only other movie That's I've... not what I was trying to get at. <laughs> sure. I was, make, I was making a joke. Okay. <laughs> Well, but, but okay, so yeah, there is this graphic element. To, no, 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 don't worry about it. But there is graphic element to it, and if we explore that a little bit more, we gain this sense of comfort. We are setting some standards. We are building culture, and then when when that is done, 
we can all be a bit more experimental, maybe. We can all be a bit more open-minded. We can all be a little bit less anxious. And once again, I fully understand this anxiety. It's definitely not unwarranted. But yeah, anyway. So maybe make more movies that have such graphic depictions in them. So we can all grow more comfortable, maybe. Who knows? Maybe that's an idea. (laughs) And another thing I I, I would say that, like, cruising is good at, um, maybe in comparison to some modern media properties that I don't like very much is that it's not a, f- and I would say it has, it relates, um, it has this in common with like the new queer cinema is that uh, cruising is not afraid to be messy, b- uh, both, Beth, both aesthetically, but also in identity, right? Like, mm-hmm. Like, obviously, cruising is not, like, its thesis is not gay people or serial killers. But it also shows that, like, how this oppressive structure of patriarchal homophobia and misogyny um, affects all of us. And all of us can perpetuate it, including gay and queer men, right? We also can perpetuate homophobia and patriarchy and misogyny and these oppressive structures. Just look at Pete Buttigieg. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> it baffles me that that guy's father apparently is like a hardcore Marxist. I know. Like imagine you're somebody... Okay, sorry, sorry, go on. I would disown him if he was my son. Like, fuck that. <laughs> like, come on, fam. I remember... Be a, be a true Marxist. Do some family abolition. Pete Buttigieg's dad. Like... <laughs> I, I remember Pete Buttigieg... Um, as a campaign donation uh, reward, you could go to Hamilton with his husband. Oh, fuck off. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm being serious. Uh, I don't know what kind of American queer language that is, but I feel that they're... Okay, never mind. The same Ooh, kind no, of people sorry. who watch our flag means death. Um, I mean, did I say that out loud? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Oh. <laughs> Maybe no, cut. that's not fair. Not everybody <laughs> that watched that show would vote Pete Buttigieg. Some would vote Biden, too. <laughs> <laughs> sorry I'm, I'm no it's fine but anyway no so yeah like i would say like cruising is good at getting into the murkiness of desire and identity and then how societal structures fuck with that in a way that so a lot of this like cozy media queer media that is meant purely for escapism which uh escapism is good we should have it but like queer media that is like no no nothing bad can happen everything is soft and fluffy and cozy and everything is like you know no one faces any homophobia ever um and it's like i'm not saying that that's bad that we shouldn't have that but i feel like that is kind of yes and (laughs) yeah we need a yes and you know (laughs) Like, uh, I want more messiness because it's like I want to be able to appreciate cozy comfort. I want to be able to appreciate that. But I can't if that's all I have. And, like, that's not that's not what my queerness looks like. My queerness is not no, precisely. cozy and comfortable. My queerness is like, I don't know, 
I mean, even if it is, then that, that isn't that's not all there is to it. Yeah, yeah. you know. So you, I, you contain multitudes. I, 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 you know, me and Walt Whitman. You know, we're we're tight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that cruising makes a lot of interesting choices. Exactly what what you were saying. It embraces its ugliness. Its grainy textures emanate from every scene, and it gives. Therefore, it gives a lot more uh, of a dirty and unique feeling that is highly contrasted to our modern, clean, aesthetically pleasing queer media. The setting of a story and like the choice for a more grainy uh, looks creates this admirable cohesion with the story that's unfolding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think once again, I I'm, I'm <laughs> as, as as everybody who has listened to probably just a single episode of this podcast uh, already knows that I'm I'm a big slut for like cohesion between the story that's unfolding and the aestheticism that's at play. Love that about you. Uh, yeah, well, you know, we we love a good meaningful thorough uh, threats spun throughout the story product whatever the fuck we are watching art that we are experiencing i i would love to see this uncut version of this movie because once again as you as you told me there's a lot of a lot of scenes that have to be taken out of the cutting room floor which then makes a lot of which hurts the pacing incredibly in my humble opinion mm-hmm. and <laughs> and i think my this my I don't know, once again, I've not looked into this, but there are a lot of scenes where El Pacino is just like, just, just like, ah, oh, oh, like, like, just straight by curious anguish scenes that I can, I can only describe them as such, where he's like, ah, oh, hmm, huh, hmm, gays, hmm, hmm, hmm. The tagline. How undercover am I actually? <laughs> like, the, the tagline for this movie should be Al Pacino struggles with, demons the demons of bisexuality <laughs> yeah there are two demons inside you one is gay and the other is gay you're gay but yeah i don't know so that that's that's something i think this could have been a way better movie if like you told me uh it went from an x rating to a r rating and i think that might have like costed some very important scenes yeah according to friedkin um he originally like made it like that first cut had explicit like gay sex in it because like again the people oh. in the leather bar are patrons of that leather bar and they were told to act how they would normally act just without maybe actually having sex like they normally would um because these these were member members only leather bars some of them are i think they're both still in operation today and like you can just like fuck <laughs> in le- yeah. like leather bars like you know you can just like do that so there were scenes that, uh, including one that showed Al Pacino having gay sex, um, I believe is the rumor. So, but that he did it so that once he gave it to the censor, so that what an ally. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Like, <laughs> so like I, I don't know how else and how this happens elsewhere in the world, but in the United States, um, before you can release a movie, it has to be put forward yeah. to the. The, the board kind of committee the board yeah. of whoever gives out the ratings the mpaa right and yeah, they, we have something very similar yeah yeah and they will like tell you we would give it this rating if you want a lower rating you have to cut this 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 and this right yeah. and so it's just funny because that's what a lot of liberals critique communism about but whatever I, I know it turns out just the things that people could drink communism for is things that already happen. It's actually happening right now. What a fucking concept, <laughs> yeah. you know, wow. projecting much. Sorry. Wow. 
No, so he purposefully made it more extreme so that they would like be overwhelmed and just be like, take out the fucking, and so that he could have the actual stuff that he wanted in there because they would just tell him, please take out the. I mean, he. There's a scene of a guy getting fisted in a sex scene. You see the guy lube up his fist with Crisco. Like, that's in this movie. So, you know, it's, he didn't have to cut much. Um, but, yeah, he cut about 40 minutes. So imagine if that was in this film, how much more extreme the stuff that did get cut. He has said that nothing related to the plot got cut. That it was mainly, like, scenes in the leather bars. Still, you know, I'm sure some of those leather bar scenes helped break up other portions of the film. Yeah, I think then that despite for the one, once again, I cannot stress enough that the serial killer is a is a very clearly depicted outlier. It's yes. um, he's also a man that's not interacting with any of the. He wears the costume, he wears the trappings of leather bar gay stuff, but he you don't see him interacting with people in a meaningful way. You don't see him really actively partaking in any of the things that are going on. He is there to like single out a person and you know like you know so i think that's very uh sincere and good choice to make i don't know how you feel about that no so um in the in the film um every time we see a murder happen um it's a different actor playing the murderer it's the same voice but it's a different actor oh that's why it looks so fucking weird mm-hmm. I, okay because again it's meant to be all the same killer right because it does the same little like you know it's yeah and like the who's here i'm here you know like the little sing song thing um but um is that a reference to something yes so the actual so um little history lesson so um some of the murders that inspired cruising were done by a person who was in the exorcist movie oh which is funny because willie freaking directed it right yeah um, so he got to talk to someone who survived the serial killings and they yeah. said that something that that serial killer did was do this little sing song before he would do stuff. And William Friedkin had that put in the movie. Interesting. Yeah. So that does I... come from what the actual person did. Yeah. So uh, last specific for my for my part, last specific thing that I really liked about Cruising is uh, Al Pacino, which is in general uh, such King. a great actor. Honestly, um, there are some very wooden acting in his movie. It's fine. I, I don't I don't judge it for it. Uh, it's the eighties, um, but he really acts his. You know, uh, okay. For the most part, he his acting is like solid, like really good. Um, in, and I'm, what I really like about it is that it's such a mature movie that I don't think if something like this would be made today would have done would have done a couple things differently. I'm going to go through it really fast. There is this moment where El Pacino goes undercover, it goes into this apartment that is then you know uh, <laughs> give it to his gay sona. Um, <laughs> this little apartment and everything, and in that apartment he has uh, a stack of like aggressively homosexual magazines. They're gay porn um, magazines. Like, yeah, just, just you know, uh, leaving very little to the imagination. You don't stumble into the magazine like, oh, there are naked men in there. It's very clear. And he looks at them, he grabs them and looks at them, and there's no, um, there's just looking at them. 
and him processing that and then him taking them out and i feel like a modern like if something more uh, contemporary that would have been like a guy grabbing those magazines going like oh gross what's this Da-da-dun. um like you know like <laughs> something like that it has to have like a little joke and it has to very clearly demonstrate to you the audience that this guy is not cool with the gays and throughout the season he might be somewhere tolerable towards the gays or something um a show that did this horribly is um football show uh ted ted uh ted friday night ted lasso oh ted lasso i um, everything i know about ted lasso i learned against my will it's there's this there's this scene in there <laughs> where everybody is like okay you have to delete the nudes of your exes because somebody's phone got hacked and some material got leaked um and they're all like oh i have to release delete uh, my stuff and one of the footballers is in the closet and gay uh, uh of the team like uh, he's on the team and he's gay and in the closet nobody knows that he's gay and um he uh, has to take his phone out and go somewhere else and deletes tries to delete uh the pictures you know that he would have of his exes and sexual deliances and so forth and so on uh, which which is surprise surprise with other men and then a guy takes his phone obviously and sees like oh my god and then doesn't talk to him and then the gay guy has to show up to that guy's door uh his home then they play fifa together and they're cool hmm. i'm not kidding i'm not leaving anything out the guy first ignores him and gives him this death stare which i would count as physical intimidation even though not not that intensely, but still, it, it, it does demonstrate like, oh, do one gay thing and I'm going to beat the shit out of you. That's what it comes across to me, which is too bad because the guy was a nice guy on the show, but never mind. Um, which is the team captain as well. Never mind. Not important. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I would argue that we have, we, we have not advanced, if anything, we have regressed um, in depictions of homosexuality and dealing with that and straight people dealing with this homosexuality. Um, because once again, uh, Al Pacino with his gay Sona takes out an obviously gay guy to like a bar or uh, not the bar, uh, like for like lunch or yeah. something like that. And he's legitimately interested in this guy's life and he doesn't balk at anything. He even, um, lets himself be tied up, uh, with yes, with the idea that he, somebody's going to interrupt him. But he, he, he you don't know how far it's gonna go. <laughs> well, he looks a bit disgruntled that people came in too early, so I'm like, and once again, we have this repressed, uh, this 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 Al Pacino that's um, what's his name Barnes or something Burns, um, Burns, sorry, same name, um, Burns <laughs> that like is struggling with how to deal with his homo lust, and well, anyway, so uh, I would indeed as you already did. I'm so sorry. But I would like to then segue into uh, this cozy politics and why this might be a problem. Yeah, and like the general like sanitization of yeah um, queerness, but you know specifically again for this episode um, and infantilization and stuff. Yeah, like queer like queer men's like sexual lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you you mentioned it and. Uh, two shows that are very popular 
within and we're about the, to be very unpopular <laughs> with, within the uh, within the both straight and queer communities. I would argue because that's, that that that's a good profit model. Um, that's uh, which is uh, our flag means death and good omens. Right. Uh, I've watched both of them. I haven't watched season two of Good Omens. Uh, I think it's fine. Once again, uh, we are not coming at it that these shows are necessarily bad. But yeah, I uh, like the first I... season of Good Omens. is fine. I like it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I like Tenant uh, being a, like a, you know a, a gender bending sexual fluid devil person. That's that's fine. Um, uh, <laughs> that talks to his plants a lot. I like I like a lot, but. I I so I got presented uh, our flag means death like oh well you're queer right there's there's something you're 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 there's something to matter with you right uh, <laughs> yes you, you, but... like, you, you know you thought Thor Ragnarok was not the worst thing ever right you, you like, yeah. I was like, well in comparison in comparison to the Marvel movies yeah I I, I thought it was it was just fine a okay. Um, didn't know that every movie since was going to be that exact movie. So, but okay. Um, <laughs> no, okay. <clears throat> so people were like, "Oh, you should watch Our Flag Means Death." You like boats, big boats, and and, and pirates and stuff. You're like le- weird leftist queer, so you should like this anarchist bunch of fuckers uh, that are apparently so gay. It's so gay. Wow, it's it's about this gay love and like, oh, okay, sure. Uh, pirates were notoriously gay, just like cowboys. All mm-hmm. the things that uh, heterosexual men identify as were pretty fucking gay, my dude. Once again, straight men, biggest faggots out there. Um, <laughs> Call me. No. <laughs> getting, to, getting to the points. Um, I got like this. So I got like marketed, <laughs> professionally cornered. In, uh, I was cornered into uh, this. Our flag means death corner, and I uh, was uh, like herded into it. Like, oh, you should watch it, you should watch it, you should watch it. And then I watched it, and it turns out that the intense queer representation is uh, two grown men sharing a kiss at the end. So, um, hey, yeah. hey, hey, people, uh, hey, just just watch Black Sails. We don't need our flag means just... death, Black Sails already exists, <laughs> and. It's also done by a guy that's predom- that I understand to be straight, uh, uh, Takawatiri. He he uh, felt the need to make this thing. Um, they do have like once again like a buddy up thing at the end, so it's not just the one kiss, but it, it's it is just the one kiss though. From a, from from the perspective that we are judging it from, it's just the one kiss, which I think it also happens at the very fucking end. Um, and it's this very like oh won't will they won't they, and which I think is. Um, well, okay, which is whatever, right? But it is very frustrating because it's kind of all we have, I think. Um, you gotta earn so a will they, won't they? You know why I am why I'm so feral about America. That one, that one singular American God scene is because it was done right, and it is sadly not. Um, it is sadly not a widespread, and why why I'm so frustrated about this is because. I'm not saying I'm not talking about Taika Waititi specifically, but a bun- This is a, an issue across the liberal producer circle. They are very proud of their um, of that of of. Oh, I did a queer. Th- no, they don't say queer. Uh, I did LGBTIQ plus thing. 
and the, you should just say LGBT, LGBT. Uh, you're lucky if you get the plus, by the way. Oh, but it's not a hero there. Um, <laughs> but they're like, no, they're so proud, and they, they like, you know, they, they loved, they uh, lifted the whole um, queer community up as a trophy that, because that's what we are apparently, um, and even more insidiously. When I, it's a very specific epi- uh, example, but it's indicative of something broader, which is when uh, somebody who worked on the video game series God of War was like on during years ago was during Pride was like um, Kratos, the main guy of that series, is by by the way Lamau, and everyone's like, oh my god, that's so cool, and a bunch of people came out of woodwork that's like. Oh my fucking god! That's a quote, quote queer washing, whatever the fuck they use, whatever terminology they use. It's like, oh, that's the worst, blah blah. blah. And then the guy backpedaled and said, "No, he isn't. But you guys are silly with your little, with your little uh, homophobia." I was like, "Oh, was was my bisexuality just lo- just used as a weapon to beat homophobes with?" I think that sucks. I think it, I think it was. I think that's. Yeah. I think you're not allowed to write anything anymore. Actually, <laughs> I. I think that's that. And then he. Then people pointed it out politely. I might add, because I, I read the th- Twitter thread, the back then still Twitter thread, um, saying like, "Well, this was not maybe a cool thing to do." And he's like, he lost his shit at queer people saying like, "I take my allyship to the queer community very seriously." And just as a rule of thumb, if you come to the point where you have to defend your allyship, you probably fucked up. You probably have done some... I'm not saying that we queer people cannot jump down somebody's throat a little bit too fast. Once again, I've talked about these anxieties earlier on. Um, I just think that um, if you have to proclaim that in a tweet, you you probably fucked up, my guy. You probably, you know, <laughs> probably should not have done that. That's So... I also feel that there's this sub-layer, the subtext of, like, straights um, using queer media as a, like, a a step-up or a self-aggrandizement, like, look how cool I am, look how much I tolerate these fucking weirdos, these, these queers, you know? I dare to put them in my media. Like, come on, dude. So, yeah, like, I would argue that Neil Gaiman did this a little bit with The Good Omens show, at least in season one. Yes. And, like, a lot of people do this. And, again, this is, again, before I say this, I want to reiterate that our intention here is not to um, uh, shame shame asexuality at all. Um, Oh, definitely not. Or or that, like, or that... um, if you like our flag means death or good omens, you're a bad person. Or That's not over here. Or that like, um, or that like you have to have sex or in a specific way. Or <laughs> but yeah, um, with again in media, these are all conscious decisions that a writer or a creator is making to show certain things, and because it's not actual people, it's pe- you are writing this, correct? And so, like, it is a conscious choice to be like, hmm, I am not going to show these characters having sex or am going to show these characters having sex. And, like, something that, like, creators like to do a lot is they'll put the bare fucking minimum of representation. 
like a wink and a nod where it could still be censored out in markets that don't like no, that. No, not favorable. <laughs> right. Yes. But you, but we, we get the table scraps here, right? And But a creator can say, oh, well, it's actually this because the people who are desperate for scraps will latch on to the scraps. And I understand why. And then the creators see that and they go, well, see, it's meaningful to them. Are you yeah. to say that your little f- filthy, degenerate sodomy is more important than this? Right? Like how, good how, and pure feelings. Right. How dare you? Like Neil Gaiman did this with Good Omens because like a lot of people were like, why can't they fuck? And he was like, actually, you're taking away from the fans who see this kind of representation in them, Lamau, uh, in a very like cynical way. Again, like I'm not saying that people are bad for seeing or liking that kind of representation or message, or that that's a bad thing. No, but, or but that's all they can take. Right, right. But like, yeah. cr- creators are not like creators aren't your friend. Um, movies aren't your friend. Producers aren't your friend. None of these people are your friend. They don't give a shit about you. And all they're doing is they're latching on to you as someone they can market to and use to defend themselves with. That's what they're doing. Um, like, I might be right or die for Brian Fuller, but if he pulled one stupid shit, I'd be like, get out of here. Like, he's not my friend. Like, <laughs> he just happens yeah. to, like, be good most of the time, right? Um, Neil Gaiman used to be my favorite author. You know, it's not that I d- dislike Neil Gaiman. I, I quite like a lot of his things, actually. But... He, he pulled this stupid shit of, like, using his decision to not portray sexuality. Um, and a lot yeah. of people do this. What did he say again? Of they're angels, uh, so they're not gay. They don't have yeah. genitals or whatever. Well, that's, okay. Depending on what type of scripture we're looking at, there there was actually a bunch of cool genital stuff that you could, pl- could have played with, with from a trans endorsements perspective. But go on. Especially since the, like... Crowley being gender fucky is like yeah. very clear in the, the show, which is like really cool. And so I was like, hey, that's cool. Like Neil Gaiman's not not supportive of that. Right. But yeah, like like people do this all the time with like portrayals of like you can have like gay people in your show, um, but you can't have them fuck. Um, but if people try to come at you for that, you go. But don't you like the thing you can't attack me like you know it's they use it as a a defense mechanism against people who are like um hey because it is a conscious choice to show or not to show characters having sex it doesn't that that that, that choice doesn't exist in a vacuum you know oh yeah yeah no i think these dispositions are very indicative of the very pronounced difference between tolerance and acceptance or yes. embracing, or whatever the alternative you should, you should, uh, whatever you think, whatever word you think I should have used, dear listener. But the way, once again, I, I'm, I'm not coming for Takawatiti or uh, Neil Gaiman. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I think that a lot of the rhetoric uh, that they are using comes from this tall, it can very easily still exist within the tolerance narrative. Mm. You, okay. you don't tolerate people, you don't tolerate queer people. We're not here for you to tolerate. Uh, you tolerate a headache. You tolerate stomachache. You, you tolerate having to, like, you know, laugh at your unfunny co-workers' jokes. That's that's what tolerance is for. I feel like this, not, this purposeful not depiction of sexual intimacy between men 
is serves for once again of course marketability profitability palatability and so forth and so on and this co this this very intensely fits within this straight tolerance narrative like mm. yeah i guess we will not actively you know uh make you disappear um not in a fun way uh not in like a las vegas magician show way um it's <laughs> in a lot less less fun uh way which yeah, which I sadly we can't ignore because of the severe amount of anti-queer, anti-trans specifically, I would argue, uh, legislation and talking points among politics right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like a more thorough endorsement of queer people, if you are so serious about being an ally, after all, you, you, you might want to do that instead, maybe uh, through, once again, maybe more graphical depictions because... The unease towards queer people, as you and I have talked about a lot, Jay, is rooted within the sexual. Yes. Is rooted within the very specific sexual acts. And yes. so, so I, this is once again another argument for <laughs> depicting these kinds of things. But anyway, I'll shut up now. Sorry. I would like to drive home the point a little bit about a lot of this, like, a lot of people are like, we need queer representation like the politics of representation and how, why that is an incomplete politic. It's not a bad thing to want, but like with representation, like people tend to only be looking towards mainstream and they totally aren't seeing the like, I don't know, hundred years of queer cinema that exist. Uh, if you just look right, it's, it's all there. If people have been, Gay people have been making movies about gay lives since cinema has existed, and yep. like it's it, it and not like in and in all like countries and cinemas like this is a a thing right and but like for anything mainstream like we get representation only I'm going to get close to the mic because this is important we only get representation in anything mainstream when and only when it is deemed palatable and profitable i'm going to say that again because it's important and i want everyone to listen we only get representation in mainstream media when it is deemed palatable and profitable that is why we don't see people we don't see like queer people having sex and if they do, what kind of sex are they having? Who is having that sex? Are we seeing fat bodies? Like fat people have sex. Are we seeing people of color have sex? If we are, are they falling into stereotypes of, you know, who is passive and who is active, etc.? Right? Yes. Like, really like we need to move away from hyper focus on representation because it is so easily weaponized and co-opted into like into capitalism like in, to serve the needs of capital right yeah i think uh the representation is important but yes if you want to make it descriptive and direct representation this is once again uh, there are some problems here. This is why I think it's so important to emphasize that the director for cruising was a straight man. Yeah. Because, you know, 
as we have said multiple times, we understand the anxieties. We have those anxieties, by the way, as well. Mm-hmm. And yet we can say, you know, if if there's sincerity, if there is, you know, uh, good research and, you know, like if there's a sincere attempt at depicting these things, it it, it doesn't... It, it, the person being then straight or not queer or whatever you think I should have said is not, at the end of the day, the most important thing in the world. Because at the end of the day, directing is just a job. It's just a set of actions. And you can listen and consult all kinds of people, by the way. What a concept. Oh, I was just going to say that, like, you know, if you want to see a explicitly queer retelling of Cruising, this really great French horror film that came out a couple of years ago called Knife Heart or Knife Plus Heart or whatever. It's basically the plot of Cruising, but taking place within a gay porn studio. And like literally the first murder in it is like kind of shot for shot, the first murder in Cruising. Um, same motive, like same everything. But like queer people made this movie and everyone in it is queer and it's like the queerest it's so good so like it kind of takes cruising to its logical conclusion you don't necessarily have the like struggling with the demons of bisexuality like you do in in cruising but like you get you know i I don't know so that that's just me plugging that film if people are like i don't know i don't want to watch the thing by a straight person just go watch knife plus heart instead it's really good uh go watch it Yeah, I think, and I don't know if we're wanting to wrap up or anything, but I think a a good way to maybe some do a little little summy uppy thing is that like so often the desire of a man for another man is seen as in media even specifically is viewed as impure, is dirty, as predatory as shameful as fetishizing as excessive where love has nothing to do with it where tenderness has nothing to do with it where connection has nothing to do with it i i i just want uh, like for for the people who have not experienced it the transcendental liberatory power of gay lust is like like these people who view like sex between men as this like where they view the way that queer men have sex with each other as the way that straight men might have sex with a woman right the first time i had sex as a guy with another guy it was like a fucking i was like oh i get it now right like you know so it's if we treated desire seriously right like if we were to in media if we were to treat queer desire seriously and its symbolic implications its narrative implications um its revolutionary and liberatory implications right like i'm fully here for like gay gay sex saving the world um more sodomy now damn it but I, I don't know, like, we need to stop having this idea that lust is predatory and impure um, yes. across the board. So Definitely. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, but once again, <laughs> there's a bunch of 
more interesting stuff that I want to get into and that we're definitely going to like talk about. Uh, I could fill this whole series with just you know things regarding uh, uh, men's men queerness and so forth and so on. However, um, I just want to do like if you made it to the end, thank you so much. And <laughs> second, secondly, if you are listening to this and you are a queer man and you're like, oh, hey, they should talk about this and this and that. Uh, feel free to reach uh, reach out to us. Uh, you can find us at the left page pod, and there's a link in the description. Just look at the links in the description, actually. And uh, come talk about the new also, queer cinema with me. Precisely, <laughs> and uh, we, the, once again, we already we have enough on our plate, but we would also uh, like to make a little bit more room on the plate for maybe not queer men if you're uh, anywhere else on the queer spectrum. Uh, from lesbian to non-binary to whatever the fuck, uh, you are more than welcome to join us if you feel comfortable with that. And I would be honored to have you on and have you talk about the thing that you would like to talk about. And I would ideally make, would like to make this as well-rounded a conversation as I can, uh, as we are capable of doing so. And yeah, I, I love, once again, I love swapping stories between queer uh, identities and people and whatnot, uh, because that's 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 uh, that's what community is all about, baby. No, but <laughs> in all seriousness, meaning uh, it's not yeah. in things, but in between them. Between, yes. And I just don't want to give the impression that you can only come on if you're a queer guy. Um, but literally, any, anything, uh, if you're comfortable with sharing that space with us, I would be more than honored. So that that's just that's just as a little little tidbit at the end. Yeah, so thank you so much for listening. Uh, Jay, thank you so much for, once again, sharing space and time and the relationship between us with me. Mm -hmm. Thank you for having me on. Always Always. a pleasure. Always. Mm -hmm. And please check out uh, my, not not Frank's, my, my appearance on uh, (laughs) on tender subjects. (laughs) No, uh, Frank's episode is fucking amazing. It's so good. Uh, You guys, shout out. Shout out to Frank. Honestly. Yes, I I miss you so much, my dearest friend, my friend of friends. Um, It's uh, but yeah, thank you so much, Jay. Uh, You are amazing, and we will say we will see Jay very soon, and soon enough. Not the soonest, but the soonest after that soonest, the soonerest. Anyway, (laughs) everybody, take care, and uh, thank you so much for listening. And we will see you soon, ish, ist, whatever. Take care.